All right, good evening, Cuse Nation. Welcome to the Upstate Orange Podcast on FingerLakes1.tv. I'm Jim Sinecropi, live inside the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. On Sunday night, November 20th, 2016, it's snowing pretty heavily here outside the studio in Seneca Falls. The first snow event of the season. And it certainly uh, sets the mood to talk about basketball. Specifically Syracuse basketball. The Orange picked up two more wins this week to start their 2016-17 campaign at 3-0. A 90-46 win over Holy Cross on Tuesday in the Dome and a 71-50 win over Monmouth in the Dome on Friday night. Monmouth, you know, is supposed to win their the MAC and or the MAAC conference and and go to the NCAA tournament. So a decent test there for the Orange. On Friday night, both games part of the Brooklyn's Hoops Holiday Invitational, which will see the Orange against South Carolina State Tuesday night in the Dome and in the Barclays Center on Saturday afternoon to face South Carolina. So, we'll talk all about it tonight, along with some great Orange trivia, which if you're a Syracuse fan, long time or short term, you're going to love Connors Corner Trivia. Um, It's the best part of the show, I think, and a real treat for any um, Syracuse basketball fan. And if you're a young fan, it's great to listen to, to learn some history. So I don't know what Brad's going to have in store for us tonight, but when he joins us in just a moment, uh, we'll kick off the episode. And this episode, like all episodes of the Upstate Orange Podcast, is brought to you by Generations Bank with locations in Auburn, New York, Farmington, Geneva, Phelps, Seneca Falls, Union Springs, and Waterloo. Be sure to check out their mobile banking app or visit them online at mygenbank.com. And so, without further ado, I'd like to welcome in the professor, Brad Connor. How you doing tonight, Brad? Fantastic, Jim. Hope you're having a good evening yourself amidst the snow. Any snow out in Cincinnati where you're uh, streaming in from? Not tonight. We actually had some yesterday. It was 75 on Friday, and we had snow flurries yesterday. Nothing nothing stuck, though, so we're, um, we're not quite... Winter is uh, not as impending here as it is there, unfortunately. No, I'm shoveling. We are shoveling, you know, today. We're shoveling. We're breaking out the snow <laughs> brushes, and the plows are out. It's crazy because, like you said, I played nine holes of golf Friday in a short sleeve shirt. So, yeah. yeah. You know what? It's basketball season. It should be snow on the ground. That's how it is. That's how it ought to be. Yeah, we've had a nice run, um, but you're right. It's basketball season. And uh, also, from here on out, if you look at the Syracuse schedule, Brad, there's like one game of consequence every week. There's not like, you know, there's not like a stretch of uh, boring blowout wins. Um, and I can go through that with you real quickly here. For instance, yeah, please do. I'm tired of playing teams like Holy Cross and Monmouth. And well, we got South Carolina South State Carolina on State. Tuesday, but then we have the Gamecocks, an SEC opponent in the Barclays Center, and then followed up on that game Saturday, you followed up with Wisconsin. Uh, in Wisconsin, Wisconsin's in the top 10 right now, the AP polls. Um, that's Tuesday night at 7.30, and then uh, we play North Florida, but you follow that up with UConn in Madison Square Garden. 
uh, Boston University, followed by Georgetown in the Dome on December 19th. And then we have St. John's on the 21st of December, and then Cornell, and then the ACC tournament starts. So every single week here on the Upstate Hoops Orange Podcast, we're going to be talking um, about a game of consequence, and this week's game of consequence would be the Gamecocks uh, at the Barclays Center in a game, Brad, where they're going to honor the Pearl, I I guess, in his hometown, uh, Brooklyn there. Yeah, that'll be good. They're doing something for Pearl there. They'll also do something for Pearl at the Georgetown game on the uh, on the 17th of December. Um, you know, I expect a lot of tributes as we go through the season. I wish we were still in the Big East and we could have one at Madison Square Garden in March. But um, you know, anytime they can honor the Pearl, it's 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 an important thing for any Syracuse fan. Agreed. So let's get to it um, with our Big Five topics of the week. Kicking it off with topic one, and that's, you know, all you hear about this team is, you know, how great they are and how deep they are and how talented they are and and how big they are, and it's all true. It's all true. This team is underrated. We'll talk about that a little later. Underrated in the polls, I think, and um, nobody, like, what's the weakness? There's got to be some weakness to this team. We keep hearing all the good, and, and nobody's, does the team have a weakness, first of all, and if they do, what is it? I, I I struggle to find one. We talked about this question earlier today. I, I I like the question because it makes us think a little bit about this team a little bit deeper than what we've been seeing in front of us because everything we've seen has been positive. Um, you know, there, are there any cracks in the armor? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, Coach Beheim would always argue that they can get better on defense, and I'd, I'd agree there are some things on defense that we can see. You know, things that if, if Holy Cross is exploiting or, you know, Colgate's exploiting, then chances are Duke and Carolina are going to exploit it. And I mean, I see some some weaknesses maybe on the back line of the 2-3. You know, they're getting some high-low action, some of these teams, so we've got to make sure that that gets shored up. Um, you know, a lot of teams are, are getting three-point looks, so we've got to make sure that they can extend on shooters. Um, you know, long rebounds, <laughs> you're getting pretty pretty nitpicky when you get to that point. But offensively, I don't see a whole lot of weaknesses. Monmouth held these guys down a little more than the other two teams, you know, 71 points the other night. But, um, yeah, they still move the ball well. And uh, there's so many weapons. It's, it's, it's hard to argue with anything that we've seen offensively so far on this team. Yeah, I agree. It's struggled to find a weakness because, like you mentioned, defense – the press can get a lot better. I don't know if that's a weakness, but it's a place they certainly can improve on is their pressing because with sure. the deep as they are, we should see a lot more pressing this year if, if the press is good. If it's not, you know, Bayheim won't run the press. Um, right. Defensively, at times, like the second half of the Monmouth game, they held them, I think, to 20. Um, you know, the, the zone looks really good um, with the personnel we have. But I think they, that we can get a little lazy. Torian Thompson, um, in particular, when he's in there, I think the defense struggles a little bit just because he seems a little lackadaisical, maybe. Um, but yeah, maybe a little bit. I, freshman big men take some time. I get that. Yeah, I can't, look, I, what we've gotten from Thompson so far has been a nice surprise. Of course, sure. he he went out with a ankle injury, um, but I haven't heard too much since then. But he. I, he should be all right. It didn't look like too too major of an injury, but uh, but yeah, try to find a weakness on this team. Um, foul shooting, maybe they haven't shot foul shots that great. Um, I I don't know. I maybe you know maybe a weakness, and they haven't shown it yet. 
but could potentially be um, the chemistry a team with so much talent. Uh, you know, maybe chemistry becomes an issue, but these these guys seem to like each other. But let's take it for example. You know, Tyler Lydon's this season is an NBA um, tryout for him. He could have gone pro at the end of last year and probably would have yeah. got drafted. Um, but he hasn't scored so far in you know in this season here. He hasn't you know had the type of numbers you'd expect to have out of an NBA first rounder. He had seven right. points against Monmouth, and uh, he had uh, he did have seventeen against Holy Cross. But NBA first rounders are scoring fifteen to twenty five points a night. Sure. So, I, I, how can you say that's a weakness? That one, you know, it, there's just so many different guys to score. I hope it doesn't become an issue for the chemistry on this team. If a guy like Tyus Battle was thinking he was going to be one and done and now he's not getting as many shots because Andrew White's taking so many and Leiden needs his and Roberson needs his points and you you know you the point guards are going to score. So, it's uh it's I guess it's a good problem to have if you're coach Beheim if you want to call it a problem, but it, in situations like this the chemistry on a team can deteriorate. I'm not saying that's the yeah. case here, and or it's not saying it's going to happen, but potentially could be a weakness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and we'll talk more about this, I think, too, but it, it, this team doesn't seem to have, you know, too many what I'd call alpha dogs, I guess, where, you know, they need to have the ball and they kind of shrink if they don't have the ball. I mean, I think, take a guy like Tyler Lydon, who you mentioned, they... He has the shot's been off. It's very, very poor shooting start to the season for Tyler Lydon. Um, but he's rebounding. He's active. He, you know, he's trying to get inside. He's, he's uh, you know, defensively, he's he's stronger inside and can play the, you know, the inside of the two three. I mean, he's he's still contributing even though he's his his shot's not there yet. And and is that a weakness? No, because we've seen what he can do. Uh, shooting the basketball, so that I, I don't expect that that'll be a problem for him. Guy like Tyler Roberson's a senior. He's he's never been an alpha guy, alpha dog guy. He's not that guy this year. I don't think he's not a guy who demands a basketball and is displeased if he doesn't get it. Um, you know, he's he's perfectly content it seems anyway that um, just to pick his spots to get a couple of uh, mid range jumpers and then a lot of putbacks. They're trying to work him a little bit more on the low post and getting you know getting him post up options and things like that, but. You know, he's not a guy that demands it, and it's going to, you know, create some problems, you know, within the group if he doesn't get that. Andrew White could potentially be that guy. You know, we don't think we know too much about him yet, and he's certainly a high-volume shooter, but, um, you know, I, I haven't seen any problems with that so far anyway with this group. Well, in that vein, um, we were discussing – Actually, Hubert Davis was discussing how <laughs> Hubert Davis always is always discussing this. Great teams have a go-to guy, and you know you look. <laughs> if at, you recall, the reason this was brought up was because there were years ago Hubert Davis criticized a Syracuse team that was number one in the country that they couldn't sustain it because they didn't have a go-to guy. They had four or five go-to guys, but they didn't have one, and so that was a negative on his mind. Well. That could be said for this team. We don't really know who the go-to guy is going to be. And when I say go-to guy, I mean end of the game, tie game, down one, down two. Who's take, who's going to have the ball in their hands? Who's going to shoot? Who's going to be on the court at crunch time? Um, who's the leader of the team? But who's the go-to guy? 
um, in those situations. And I think from what I've seen so far that it's going to be Andrew White all year long. He can create his own shot. He has this nice step back. Um, he's shooting a lot more than anybody else. He's uh, he's played the most minutes, 30, point, 30 minutes a game of anybody on the team. I think the next closest is 26. He's had the most field goal attempts at 39 so far and the most free throws with 10. So he's getting to the line more than than anybody else. So to me, that's your guy. It's going to be Andrew White. He is Andrew White the third. He's the go-to guy this year um, in you know the vein of uh, you know Michael Benningay last year. Yeah, well, it was funny about last year when thinking about this question. Well, it ended up being Richardson, maybe though. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly the point I was going to make. Where we, you know, we always had thought it was Benningay throughout the course of the year, but when it got into the tournament, it was it was Malachi Richardson. He ended up being the go-to guy against UVA against uh, Gonzaga. You know, and and Benningay played great games in both those games, but the. Richardson kind of, you know, led the engine in, in those comebacks in those games. And and Benajay didn't do much of anything against Carolina. And, you know, they needed Richardson to be bigger, and unfortunately he wasn't, and, and that's and that was how they went. So, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't have to be a locked-in situation. It can be fluid game to game, which it may be with this team. Well, you know, like last year, it could be a fifth-year senior. In Andrew White, even though he's first year with Syracuse, and by the end of the season, a guy like Tyus Battle could develop and be another option for Coach Beheim at the end of the games. Um, as can Tyler Roberson is a senior. I think depending on the team we're playing, I think that you'll see Coach Beheim go down to to Roberson at the end of games. And like we just got done talking about, there's always Tyler Lydon. No problem with him having the ball in his hands at the end of the game. So and we got two great point guards. So will there be a go-to guy? I think it will be Andrew White the third most of the time. You know, also that guy that you want to get a shot when the other team's on a six-zero run or an eight-zero run, and you want to stop that run. Who are you going to go to um, when you're struggling scoring? Who are you going to put the ball in the hands of? So I think that'll be Andrew White the third. But there's so so many options, and depending on how many close games Syracuse is in, we might see. Uh, three or four different players take that shot with time running down at the end of a game. Yes, yeah. On, on this one, I think I'm going to disagree a little bit. I, you know, you're, you're going to need Andrew White to hit big shots, but I think Tyler Lydon gives you so many different options because he can post up, he can shoot from 25 feet, probably. Um, certainly, he can knock down three pointers. He can put the ball on the floor and go. We've seen a little bit of, of Andrew White putting the ball on the floor and attacking, but he, he a couple times we saw it against Monmouth and he got a shot blocked. <laughs> um, you know, Lydon is bigger and stronger, I think, presents a lot more matchup problems for the defense than, than Andrew White does. Um, you know, what we've seen out of White so far earlier on the, early through the season, I mean, he's, he's been dominant. And if that continues, then this is a moot point. Um, but I think through the course of the year, I think Leiden, this team will go as Leiden goes in the big games and games against the very upper echelon of the ACC and into the tournament. I can't disagree with that. I think that a lot of what you see this time of year is a mirage. Yeah, uh, you know they're they're operating with a comfortable margin most of the time in the second half. So uh, we'll see. You know whether South Carolina provides that challenge on Saturday. We'll see. 
Um, Wisconsin certainly will going on the road. Um, that will be our first real look at, you know, what Payheim's rotation, I think, is going to look like uh, because right. we still don't know just yet. We just still don't know. <laughs> no. So, all right, let's move on to topic number three tonight. And I don't want to create any animosity here because we got two good point guards in Frank Howard and John Gillen. Uh, Gillen, the fifth-year senior transfer from Colorado State. Frank Howard uh, came in more organically to the program, still young, still learning. Um, and I like them both. But who's who would you defer to? Now, maybe in crunch time, yeah, but, you know, I see it. The thing I don't like about topic three tonight is I like them both in the on the court, and I don't think one of them is necessarily going to supplant the other as the main point guard. But, you know, which one, I guess, do you prefer at this point to be running that point for Syracuse? Yeah, like you said, I I like this question, but I hate this question because it implies that there's one or the other that I would rather not have out there, and I, I don't think that's the case with either of these guys. Um, but. And I, and I think you know what I'm going to tell you because I, I love John Gillen, and I love watching him run this offense. I love watching him in the open floor. I love to see him run the fast break. I think he makes good decisions. I think he's in, he sees the court extraordinarily well and is able to find guys who not many guys can actually uh, see on the court. You know, great passing, great instinct, can knock down shots. His shooting is, is I would argue, better than Frank Howard's, although Howard's is vastly improved over where he was a year ago. Um, I think Howard's just a little bit more turnover-prone still. And mm-hmm. Gillen, he, he doesn't turn it over. <laughs> he turned it over once against Monmouth one time, and Bayheim chewed him out, and I was – yeah, I was shocked. It. I was surprised. I thought Bayheim yeah. was like really fond of Gillen and wasn't going to give him that treatment. He's probably still fond of him, but I didn't think Gillen was a doghouse. <laughs> if you're a point guard and you make a stupid turnover, you're going to get Bayheim's wrath. I don't care who you are, how long you've been there. Yeah, one thing Howard brings that Gillen doesn't is size. Um, big to complete that ultra big Syracuse lineup in the zone, right. but. You don't have to all be big. You need sometimes you need a little guy on there stealing up steals and uh, anticipating passing lanes. Um, but let's look at the numbers. So far, Howard's actually played more minutes than Gillen, twenty-one point seven minutes a game to twenty. So it's an even split, where, and it's probably going to continue most of the the year that way. I would think. Um, Gillen, you know, he's playing started. He's, he, you would expect a starter to play more minutes. Right, right. Barely, though. Um, right. Gillen shooting 4 of 10 from the field, 5 of 8 from the field for Howard. Gillen 3 of 4 um, free throws. Howard 1 of 4. So that's not a good sign for Frank. You've got to get that percentage up when he gets a few more attempts under his yep. belt. Howard has 8 rebounds. Gillen has 5. Howard has 18 assists. Gillen has 16. Um, Gillen averaging 11 points a game, Howard 8.7. So statistically, other than turnovers, as you mentioned, Howard has a few more turnovers. Um, they're pretty much both doing the same thing um, with more assists for uh, for Gillen. All right. Yeah. I, might have, I might have a number wrong here, but um, I, I like them both. I'm, I like them both, and I'm excited about Howard because he's got two more years after this, 
And I'm excited for Gillen because he fills a void that we were fearful of, you know, heading into this season, thinking we'd only have to rely on Frank Howard at point guard. So it's just another good situation for Bayheim and uh, Syracuse this year to have two point guards of this caliber that would start for a lot of other schools. Either one would start and play 30 minutes a game. So Yeah, we, we, we talk about turnovers. I'm looking at this here and, um, on the line that I'm looking at here. Between the two of them, they've they've committed nine turnovers in three games total. An average of three turnovers a game out of the point guard spot, where one or the other is running point exclusively every minute of every game. Right. That's pretty good production right there in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care who the who the opponent is. You know, you're playing an up up tempo style. You're getting guys involved. You're you're challenge you're you're challenging. You're not just sitting back. In you know in a low paced game, I mean I, these guys are are making good decisions in general. Um, you know I think we said I've said before that you know Howard's a little bit loose with the dribble. I think beyond that, they're they're not taking chances. They're not creating risky plays. I think they're both smart players. And you got a fifth year senior and you got a a, a second year guy who plays probably you know wiser than his his experience would 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 indicate yeah well looking past this year gillen's going to graduate and syracuse had a plan for the point guard position in a guy named quade green a 6-1 senior at newman Garetti, where scoop ardine and rick jackson came out of we kind of have a little philadelphia pipeline working and he announced saturday that he was where he's going to go to school, and a lot of people thought it would be Syracuse because uh, we've recruited him since he was four years old. But no, <laughs> he's going to go to Kentucky. So the big four topic uh, of the night is our 2017 class is not shaping up, and we Billy Preston's a six ten forward from Los Angeles who played at Oak Hill, Carmelo Anthony. Um, ring a bell and uh, he chose Kansas over Syracuse on Friday and now Green 22nd ranked player in the country according to ESPN chose Kentucky even though Kentucky already signed a point guard which is really disconcerting because when Kentucky had signed a point guard I thought well okay Green's going to come here he's been our plan for the last five or six years Coach Bayheim and Hopkins and, and GMAC have been you know really on this guy and we don't get them, we lose them to Kentucky. Like we lose a lot of players, like Nerlens Noel. Um, but we did get Dewan Coleman from him, though. Remember, he was considering Kentucky. Um, right. But right. We, we have one commitment. Uh, O'Shea Brissett, 6'9 forward from uh, Ontario, Canada, committed last week. And then coming up on Monday, with tomorrow, because we're recording this on Sunday night, Barama Sidibe, a 6'11 center at St. Benedict's Prep in New Jersey, will announce his choice. He's visited Syracuse, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech, also being recruited by Seton Hall, Maryland, among others. Maybe we'll get him, but uh, what's your take on getting snubbed by the the elite recruits at Syracuse again this year? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird era in college basketball, honestly. it's If you're the elite of the elite and – Arguably, there aren't as many guys that are at that level as they probably they probably think they are. <laughs> but um, if Kentucky's going after you, and Duke's going after you, you in all honesty, you'd probably be stupid not to not to do that. They send so many guys to the NBA, and that's the objective with these guys. That is the objective. Their objective is not to play somewhere for four years. Their frankly, their objective is not to get an education. 
it's the where, where can I better my basketball profile yep. to get to the NBA? Kentucky's probably, by all accounts, a better option. Now, Syracuse has sent a lot of guys to the NBA, and that's that's frankly why why Andrew White's here right now. They had an opportunity for him. They he knew you know he had other schools he looked at VCU and Richmond because they were hometown teams. He looked at those, but he wouldn't go to the NBA. You know, send guys to the NBA out of those schools like Syracuse does. So when Kentucky got into the game with with Green, I think there was a lot of doubt placed on it, regardless of how long that Syracuse has been recruiting this guy. And and you know that's. He went to the same high school as some guys we've had before, but I don't think that held as much water as, you know, Calipari dangling, you know, draft night stars and, and you know, previous guys that he's sent to the NBA and you dangle that in front of a kid and that, that speaks volumes and that's unfortunate. But I think Syracuse has done their best, you know, excluding a guy like Carmelo, who frankly wasn't, yeah. he wasn't the number one, number two, number three kind of guy coming out of high school. He right. was, you know, top Top ten, fifteen, probably. I don't think he was. He he certainly was. No, he wasn't. You know, he he once he signed and committed to Syracuse, his uh, stock started to rise yeah. in terms of the way he developed uh, the summer leading in. Um, yep. And that's when Bayheim started saying, "Wow, you know, look at what we got here." But yeah, and Syracuse doesn't yep. traditionally get the the cream of the crop. And, and, and they've done pretty well not getting those types of guys. Yeah. That's a tough game to play. And right now, Kentucky and, and Duke are playing that game against each other. Everybody else is sort of, you hate to say it this way, but it's kind of fighting for scraps, you know. I think Syracuse has done great with the guys that go 20 to 40. Now, what's what's ironic is Quade Green is like the 25th, 26th ranked guy in the class. Like, he's not a number one, number two guy. Right. So, for him to think that he's at that level, it could be a little naive on his part. But, um, you know, I, a, a guy like like – you know, Brissett is a is a guy who fits that profile for Syracuse. A guy like Sidibe may also be that way. Bayon's been doing this a while. He knows what he's doing. I, I I put I put all my faith in that guy to give us a class that will that will flower. <coughs> you know, a year, two years, three years from now. Do we need a point guard next year? No, we got Frank Howard. This guy thinks he's going one and done. Kentucky guys generally do. You you can guarantee Quade Green's got in his head he's going one and done. Yeah, because that's what happens when you go to Kentucky. Well, he's not going one and done at Syracuse because we got Frank Howard at point guard for next year. Yeah. So maybe it's a good thing that he's not there, and maybe we can get an under the radar guy who's a you know a three star guy who ends up being like a Frank Howard. Frank Howard is probably a three star guy, and he could be a great point guard a year from now. And we got. So I, yeah, go ahead. So I, I, I don't, you know, it's, this isn't a doom and gloom in my mind at all. Um, you know, we could get a, fi- a fifth year transfer. They only got two right. freshmen came in. You know, yeah. and, and Torian Thompson was a late guy. No one really knew about him, so we had Ty's battle, and that was it. But fuck, this team is as talented as any team they've had in maybe their history. Yeah, to be honest with you, when I see these guys pick other schools in Syracuse, I like I don't even really care. I don't get upset about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Now it'd be great to have Thomas Bryant. He's he's right. He's a great big man that I think would would have been a great a great uh, guy to land in the middle here. But you know it's. They, they move on, and we move on, and, and you make the best of what you've got. And it, it was pretty darn good last year. We ended up in the Final Four. But maybe we should do some uh, homework uh, coming up here and see what f- fifth-year grad transfers are going to be available to us next year because we might be in that same situation where we're going into the summer still not knowing who's going to be on our team next year because we're trying to woo a guy like Andrew White the third who that dominated – Syracuse basketball headlines all summer long and, and you know and then out of nowhere we get this guy named John Gillen 
you know, from yeah. Colorado State, and I'm going on YouTube watching John Gillen highlights um, to see what kind of player we got. heard the name John Gillen. Yeah, so there will be guys, I predict, next year that come onto this roster that we have no idea who they are now. So maybe we should scour the rosters and find out what fifth-year seniors are going to be available because I guarantee you Coach Hopkins and uh, Coach Beheim have already uh, have a short list working. Yeah. As long as that rule's still in place. Now, there's there's some questions if that rule's going to continue, but as long as it's in place, there's no reason Syracuse shouldn't take advantage of it. They've done a better job of it than probably any other team out there. Yeah, well, um, all right. Fifth big topic tonight before we get to Connor's Corner Trivia. And I don't know, I'm watching this team and look, we're talking about how great they are and all the talent and the shooting and the inside play and the depth and if they even have a weakness. And then I look at the AP top 25 rankings, and we're there at 18. And I don't mind being undervalued by the pollsters. Historically, that's worked out pretty good for Syracuse. Um, But we're not 18th best team in the country here. Sorry, St. Mary's. Sorry, UCLA. (laughs) Um, Purdue, I know you're good this year. Gonzaga, yeah, I know. Remember last year in the NCAA tournament when we ended your season? Um, even the Michigan States, Louisville's, Xavier's, um, and Arizona's of the world. And Virginia's up at number eight, and I just Indiana at six. I can, I can, I can see this team, this Syracuse team, being a top five team, and it's kind of just arbitrary that they're not. It's like people didn't know what we had. Um, you know, it's like Dino Baber said they thought they were going to come in here and have an easy game. This Syracuse team's not the 18th best team in the country. They're a top 10 team. And I think it's clear to the eye test and we're going to play South Carolina followed by Wisconsin. I'm sure if we win both those games um, that we're going to vault up the rankings. Um, But even if we lose at Wisconsin, I still think this is a top 10 team. I mean, are the pollsters missing something here, Brad? It seems like it. I have a difficult time understanding how this team is only at 18. Um, I mean, in the preseason, they're they're destroying teams. You know, they they, they beat Monmouth, a solid team, pretty soundly. They didn't destroy them, but they they beat them pretty soundly. Now the rankings aren't reflective of what we saw this week, but I I I, I can't fathom how somebody would think that St. Mary's is a better team than Syracuse. I can't fathom how someone would think Gonzaga is better when they just when they just played. And is there just that understanding that, A, Syracuse didn't have a great regular season last year, and, B, they lost Mike Benajay and, and Trevor Cooney? And Malachi um, Richardson. Yeah, I mean, it, there's some talent lost, but there's some talent that has come in, too. When you bring fifth-year guy, I mean, you know, you bring in a guy like Andrew White, he, in a lot of ways, gives you as much, if not more, than a guy like Trevor Cooney did or a guy like Malachi Richardson did. You know, you had a fifth-year senior in, in Benajay. Can he replace that? I don't know, maybe not. But Tyler Lydon's an NBA guy, and he's better than he was a year ago. And Benajay Benaj- lost some guys, too. You know, they yeah. had some very, very strong guys that Syracuse took out in the in the Sweet 16. And Benaj- you know, I see Xavier. I, I see a lot of Xavier here in Cincinnati. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you why those guys are, are close to the top ten and Syracuse isn't. Yeah. I, the, the, it's, it's, and it's foolish to make, a, make too much of what we see this early in the season, but – I don't know. I have a difficult time trying to understand why there's the negativity on this on this team because they've got as many weapons as anybody short of you know Duke and Kentucky and and North Carolina, maybe Villanova. I mean, they're this is this 
and maybe it's just they're not on anyone's radar yet because they haven't played any national games yet. You know, you've seen these aircraft carrier games and these elite yeah. games. They always have the, you know, this Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, Kansas sort of, you know, free for all they have first week of the season. And so you see those guys, and you don't see Syracuse. The series is playing Colgate. Well, pollsters, I think, generally um, will kind of look at the team, say, this is who they lost, this is who they added. Um, you know, and those losses seem so big, and they would with Ben and Jay, Cooney, um, and Richardson. That's our top three backcourt players out. Um, so I see why pollsters do that. And I also, over historically, pollsters have been um, wanting to bring Syracuse lower than they should. I don't know why that is. It's the national. These are national sports writers contributed into this poll. A lot of them don't take that close a look. It's funny, though, that you mentioned, yeah, we lose one fifth senior in Benajay, and we had another one in Gillen in White. But, you know, Benajay was forced to run the point for this team, and he was never a point guard. He did a great job his yeah. senior year, but we're replacing him now with a fifth-year senior who is a point guard. Um, right. And, you know, to go along with a more experienced Howard, you mentioned um, Andrew White being every bit of what Richardson gave us last year. I mean, whether he'll have that magic in the postseason that, that got us over Virginia, I don't know. But um, And, and Malachi Richardson's in the D-League. He's not on the Sacramento Kings roster to start the season. He's starting the D-League. So instead of being here, if he was, Andrew White wouldn't be here. Syracuse probably would be ranked higher because of all the hype. Um, but we got a better, more complete player in Andrew White probably than, than Richardson. So, you know, and then you go further down. Tyler Lydon didn't go pro, and he's bigger and, and improved. So we're better there. Tyler Roberson's a year older and improved. Coleman's healthy, fifth-year guy. And we had a 7-2 center. So if a, the pollsters just took a closer look, I don't think that they would have us at 18. So that's fine. We'll ride on, under the radar for a little while longer. That might come to an end Tuesday in Madison, Wisconsin, um, if we can get a win on the road against a top ten team. Which, uh, geez, I, I can't wait to see this team compete in an environment like that. And one last thing is we got a guy named Tyus Battle who we hardly even talked about tonight. Um, you know, <laughs> right. so we I think we're better than last year. Um, Almost across the board. Last year was tough. You know, we sat here on this podcast and, you know, it was a struggle to make the NCAA tournament. And then all of a sudden we make a little magical run, the Gonzaga-Virginia games back-to-back to to get to the Final Four. And it's one of the all-time great Syracuse teams. But this team's better than last year. You know, whether they'll get to the Final Four or not. But I can guarantee you, um, knock on wood, that – it's not going to be an issue getting in the NCAA tournament. You're not going to be, you know, sitting there on Selection Sunday like we were this year on pins and needles. Um, but Last year's team lost 14 games. This team will not lose 14 games. I don't see any possible way. Yep. So, um, yeah, under-ranked at 18, no doubt. So, all right, Brad, we're at about the halfway point of the show. A little long. We've gone a little long, but uh, it's time to step back and have a little fun with some great orange trivia here on Connor's Corner. All right. Uh, we talk a lot about Coach Beheim's reluctance to go deep in his bench, and the, he narrows the, uh, the rotation as we get into the season. Um, so we're three games in right now, and 
without looking at what you have in front of you, how many guys are averaging 30 minutes a night tonight so far in this game? Okay, I know that is just one, and that's Andrew White. Right. When was the last time Syracuse had a team where only one guy averaged 30 minutes a night? Oh, my. Well, it wasn't recent history, or too recent no, history. No, so, so last year, Syracuse had five guys mm-hmm. that averaged 30 minutes a night. So you talk about the you know the the, the epitome of a, of a tight rotation. So that's it. I'm struggling with this one here. I'm going back kind of year to year in my mind, and I'm starting to get lost. Um, I think you might have to. Jeez, I don't even know if I could hazard a guess at this one, but I will make a, a wild guess. I'm going to say it was. Uh, huh. Jeez, that's not. Every time I think I have a guess, I think of an, another guy on the team that definitely had that many minutes. Let's go back to um, Preston Shumpert's team. Let's say Preston Shumpert. That's a wild guess. Man, that's going way back. No, it's happened more recently than that. Okay. Um, so, I, I, I can tell you because it's kind of obscure. Um, and, and and this is one of the one of the best Syracuse teams in recent history that had this as the case. 2012. You know, the team was 34 and three, 17 and one in the Big East. Went to the Elite Eight. You know, had had talent up and down the roster. Michael Carter Williams was on that team and, and barely played. All right. So was it Scoop? Was Scoop the 30-point, 30-minute no. guy? No. Chris Joseph was the only guy that averaged 30, uh, 30 minutes a night. Wow, that's kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. So, it, it, and, it got, and it got me thinking about, you know, what, what, makes, what makes the perfect setup, right? It, is it a lot of guys that play a lot of minutes, or is it... Or a, a core guys that play the play a lot of minutes, or a few guys that play or a lot of guys that play you know even number of minutes. And I think there's going back. I, so I went back through the national championship year, and that was the only team since the national championship year that only had one guy average thirty minutes a night. So let me ask you this: Okay, when was the last time that a Syracuse team? Had, or what's the most going back to the national championship year? What's the most guys that you think have played ten minutes or more a night over the course of the season? How many do you think? Ten minutes. I'm not asking the year. How many? How how? So how how broad do you think Bayheim has ever since the championship year of '03 has broadened that rotation to the point where he's had? I don't think he's ever had more than eight. I don't think he's. I don't think he's ever had more than eight. Since then, hmm. you'd be wrong. That's happened one, two, three, three times. He's had more than eight. Never more than ten, though. Never more than ten. Oh no, no, absolutely. So not. ten. There was a year when he played ten guys. There was a year when he played ten, ten guys had more than ten minutes a night. And again, you go back to that same 2012 team. So they had one guy playing 30 minutes, and then, yeah, I guess that would make sense. 
Right. Yeah. Mathematically, obviously that makes better sense, but um, you know, and you think of one of the great teams in the history of this program, that's, you know, that, that, that may be the recipe that they followed the success. They had a lot of guys that they were able to get in, create a lot of depth. Well, yeah. The defense was great that year. They had a lot of options. So you had Chris Joseph played 32 minutes a night. You had CJ Fair at 26, Scoop at 25, Fab Mello at 25, Deion Waiters 24. And then below that, you had James Sutherland playing 16 minutes a night, entirely off the bench, didn't start a game. You had Baikita playing 12 minutes a night. You had Rakeem Christmas 11 minutes a night. And you had Michael Carter-Williams 10 minutes a night. And Carter-Williams was, was spot duty at best. And you had... And he was the 10th guy on that team playing 10 minutes a night over the course of 37 games. And you had Mookie Jones not playing Mookie 10 Jones minutes a game. Mookie Jones played five minutes a night on that team. <laughs> Poor Mookie Jones. Um, yeah, he played, but he played, he played every minute of every game in his own mind. <laughs> so, yeah, that is pretty interesting. Um, and did you notice anything going back in the eighties in the way he manages his playing time? So I didn't, I didn't analyze it that far back, but that's a, that's a good question. You know, I think I, when I think back to like the 87 final four team, you know, I know that team went eight deep pretty, pretty solidly. Um, but it was probably the extent of it. Um, you know, you think back to the Pearl years, and they probably didn't go into consistency. Right. Eight, eight seems to always be the number that they had comfortable with. And even in a year like 2012, where he went 10 deep, you know, Carter Williams probably got a lot more minutes in the, in the preseason in the you know, pre-Big East games than he did once he got into conference play. But still, he's out there six, seven minutes a night probably in conference play, which offsets the 17, 18 minutes maybe he was getting in preseason. Yeah. And six, seven minutes is nothing to sneeze at uh, in a conference game. You know, you're, you're a contributor at that point. That's really what this question's kind of about. It's how many guys right. on the right. roster actually contributed in the games that count for Syracuse. So, yeah, that's a pretty so good with this with this team, so this team's got how many guys average 10 minutes a night so far without without looking at paper and printing? Oh, um... Geez, let's say, who I would say ten. No, just nine. Really? Who's who am I missing? Matthew Moyer doesn't play. Oh yeah, okay. I guess we're so we're nine deep. So so it's all nine. But how many guys play fifteen minutes a night? So to me, fifteen minutes seems to sort of be that that kind of line between contributing and sort of being a spot player. Geez, almost everybody has got to be getting that fifteen minutes. Uh, Maybe Torian Thompson isn't. So the only guy that's not is Daywan Coleman. Oh wow! I don't think any of us have ever figured out why that is. Maybe they're pacing him, but yeah, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe, but so okay, so so if fifteen minutes is that is that dividing line. What's the fewest guys that you can think of going back to the national championship year that would have played fifteen minutes or more on any team? Jeez, he had some really tight, uh, tight, uh, oh man, let's see, the 2014 team with like Ennis, Cooney, Fair, Grant, and Christmas, um, I think that was a seven deep team, I don't, I think only seven guys had that 15 minute mark on that team. But you so, said a 2014 team? Yeah, 2014. 
Yeah, that was a pretty tight rotation too. They had six guys that went 15 minutes a night. They had and four guys at 30 minutes a night. Fair, Ennis, Cooney, Jeremy Grant, and Raheem Christmas was 20 plus minutes a night. And then Baikita had 15 minutes a night. So he was barely above that threshold. And David Long Coleman uh, was getting 13 minutes a night on that team. <laughs> not, not much field less than he's getting now. <laughs> Geez, you know what? The answer to that question is probably going to come shortly after the national championship uh, team when uh, Jerry McNamara was logging all those minutes, like 2004, 2005 maybe. Um, yeah. Those were some really tight rotations. As a matter of fact, God, what was it? Does maybe Demetrius Nichols, freshman or sophomore year, that class with Roberts, Nichols, and Watkins, maybe their freshman year or sophomore year, we had a pretty tight rotation. Um, with like Matt, Matt, lines. But that team, those teams that you're talking about, still had Akeem Warwick and Josh Pace. Right. And they were trying to, trying to bring in some of those younger guys too. So they, they mix it up a little bit in those, those early couple of years. But once Warwick left, so 2006 – was the year that without Jerry McNamara they wouldn't have won ten F in games. Oh, that's probably the obvious answer then. That is that is five the answer. Two thousand six is the year. So in that year, only five guys played more than fifteen minutes a night. And two of them were Daryl Watkins and Terrence Roberts. So yeah, so, you know, Bam yeah, was Magnum right. Thirty five minutes a game. Bam. Nichols thirty three minutes. Terrence Roberts playing thirty two minutes a game. Yeah, Daryl Watkins playing thirty minutes a twenty nine point eight. You had Devendorf on that team playing 27 minutes. It might have been his freshman year. It was. And uh, and that was it. Those jo- five guys. Josh playing, Wright and Matt Gorman and Louis McCroskey. 25 minutes a night. Next highest was Louis McCroskey playing 14 minutes a game. Huh. And then Josh Wright at 13 and Matt Gorman at 10 minutes a game. And Andy Routens is, I think, a freshman on that team. Or maybe a sophomore had eight minutes a game. Onuaku was a freshman on that team playing eight minutes a game. And then, I mean, that was a tight, tight rotation, and they needed to be because they didn't really have much depth at all. <laughs> yeah, well, they wouldn't have won ten games if it wasn't for Jerry <laughs> McNamara. That's the one thing I know about that. And according to the NCAA, they didn't with all the vacated wins. Uh, <laughs> That's true. In the end, I guess they, you're right. I guess they didn't. <laughs> don't like to have to bring that up, but uh, – no, I don't even think about that. Speaking of that, we haven't talked about it, but Coach Beheim is nearing the, uh, the the thousand with the asterisk. Oh yeah, I wanted to touch on that before the end of the show. Is this uh, is that the end of the trivia segment? Uh, yeah, we could work through this a little bit more, but those are those are the those are the big hitters I wanted to touch on. So yeah, I mean, I got you, time for it, one it, more. It's, time for it's, one it's more. It's good takeaway because you can you can sort of make some correlations between how tight that rotation is and how successful these teams are. Um. So it, again, proves that. Uh, Coach Beheim knows what the heck he's doing. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So, um, taking a look here at the upcoming schedule for the Qs, it looks like the Brooklyn Holiday Hoops Invitational rolls on uh, for Syracuse here with uh, game Tuesday night against South Carolina State, 7 o'clock tip in the Dome. And then it's South Carolina, the Gamecocks, on Saturday at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn for a 2 p.m. tip on Saturday after Thanksgiving. After that, the Orange head to the ACC Big Ten Challenge, where they'll be going to Madison, Wisconsin, for a 7.30 tip on Tuesday, November 29th, followed by a Saturday game hosting North Florida at 4 o'clock. That's an odd tip time in the Dome. And then it's UConn on Monday, December 5th, 7 o'clock in Madison Square Garden. 
followed by Boston University, uh, the Terriers, on December 10th, noon tip in the Dome, and then one week, full week, until they play again against Georgetown in the Dome, another noon tip on December 17th, Eastern Michigan on the 19th, St. John's on the 21st, and then Christmas, Cornell Big Red come to town on December 27th, and then New Year's Day, Syracuse kicks off the ACC schedule um, at 12.30 against the Boston College Eagles. So, um, know anything about South Carolina? I got I to gotta, uh, admit, Brad, I did not do much homework um, in terms of previewing the big game this week against South Carolina. Um, I'm, no, I, I, I can say the same. I don't know a lot about him. I think Frank Martin's still their coach. Beyond that, I don't know a lot about him. Yeah. Um, SEC basketball not as imposing as football. And um, <laughs> no, no, I don't spend much time studying SEC basketball. A virtual home game for us too in Brooklyn, as opposed Correct. to South Carolina, should be a pro orange crowd. And um, man, everything's all roses now, but we slip up and drop that one heading into the Wisconsin game, and and geez, that could be tough. But uh, I'm predicting two wins for the Qs this week, and maybe how they handle a big conference opponent like South Carolina will be um, give us more confidence, you know, in this team. Maybe they are better than we even think they are. So we'll, we'll yeah, I'm not inclined to make too much of South Carolina. Only, I mean, they they're not really the perennial power and. They're not on my radar, honestly. I mean, it's nice that they're not playing, you know. Yeah. You know, Buffalo or, or Bonaventure or, you know. Oh, Bonaventure would be a great game. I wish we'd play them more often. No, I like I, I like them getting out of the state just to test their, themselves with other teams that we're just not as familiar with and that, that they're not as familiar with either. Well, we get about uh, seven, eight minutes left here in the show and you touched on it just a moment ago um coach uh, Beheim is closing in on a thousand wins but it's an asterisk thousand he has 988 total wins we all saw most of them um <laughs> but the ncaa for some reason thinks he only won 887 so i don't happen man i watched all of them most of them why isn't there an effort like Joe Paterno had his wins reinstated. Why isn't there an effort for Syracuse to get these wins reinstated for Bayham? Bayham says he doesn't care, but I'm sure he does care, and I care. Everybody cares. We should be celebrating this guy's a thousandth win. Only one other person, or two, two, one other person has won a thousand games, right? Bobby Knight didn't win a thousand. Just Krzyzewski. Oh, just and yep. you know, so now here we are. We should. This should be a great year. You know, for Coach Beheim with the media spotlight on him as he closes in a thousand, something that only one other person in the history of college basketball has done. And because of some crazy, you know, I don't understand how you can penalize in this manner, um, Coach Beheim. And the teams that we beat in those vacated wins, which there's 101 of them, they had to keep the loss. So who beat them if we didn't? It's 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 a strange parallel universe in which both teams get a loss for that game. Yeah, it's a travesty, really. Um, it's uh... yeah, I, I I think the the difference is the the paternal lovers they're so hung up on his legacy and and protecting everything that they think that he was about. And with Bayheim, we're just 
content to enjoy it as it is. And uh, I don't think we're as concerned with his legacy and what happened in the past. Well, he's at 988. So 12 more wins. He's got 1,000. I'm sure we're going to celebrate it. Onondaga County Supervisor Mahoney has already started uh, preparations for honoring him when he wins 1,000, regardless of what the NCAA says, how many games he won or lost. Um, but it's just stupid. It muddles the record books for everybody. It's a pain in the neck, and it's really... It's just kind of it's just kind of a dumb way to penalize somebody. Um, it's it, it's just it's always been just spiteful. It feels like you know yeah. it's, you can take scholarships away, you can find somebody, you can suspend somebody, but it's just it's just kind of a kind of a kick in the kick in the backside to give them that on top of it because it doesn't mean anything. It affects nothing and no one. Yeah, well, it is kind of. Uh, silly but i'm just disappointed that uh, coach bayheim just is he's always the underdog and yep. um you know i guess that'll continue yeah, he's, you know he doesn't do himself any favors he's feisty he's thornery he doesn't you know bow down to the powers that be and that's kind of why we love him and that's kind of why those that aren't affiliated with this program don't love him <laughs> yeah but he's our guy and that's fine well um Another great uh, hour up here talking Syracuse hoops with your Brad. Uh, yeah. Things are going to kick in, as we mentioned earlier, with uh, pretty much a, a marquee game every week from here on out through uh, the ACC schedule. And um, so far, so far, it's been fun to watch this team. It's going to continue, I think, to be fun to watch this team and see how they uh, – mold together and really excited to see him play some major com uh, conference competition coming up here and um you know we'll be back here next sunday night at probably to do it at nine o'clock next sunday night as well uh to talk all about uh hopefully our brooklyn's hoops holiday invitational championship which is there a championship associated with it because it's not bracketed it's just the set around robin games i think isn't it yeah, I mean, if CF Syracuse loses, they still play South Carolina on Saturday. So yeah, yeah we can call ourselves champions. That's cool. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I just did some quick intelligence. South Carolina beat Monmouth in overtime the other night. Ooh, uh, okay. Last week, so and they beat South Carolina State by forty. So I don't think South Carolina State's going to offer much test. But if this team beat Monmouth in overtime, yeah, I'd like I'd like Syracuse's chances. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll be a neutral court. Hopefully, more orange in the crowd than uh, Gamecock maroon or the other maroon, I guess. White and maroon. Uh, something like that. Scarlet, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Well, either way, it's uh, tis the season, my friends. So, everybody have a happy Thanksgiving uh, on Thursday. Enjoy the game Tuesday. Enjoy the matinee on Saturday. And, uh, Brad, we'll be back here uh, next week, you and I. Sounds good. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Yep, happy Thanksgiving to you. So, um, for uh, thanks everybody for joining us here on the Upstate Orange Podcast. We'll be back in next Sunday. Check out the schedule at fingerlakes1.tv for the official start time, probably 9 o'clock p.m., just like this week, although we went a few minutes late. Um, actually, I shouldn't say that. Next week will probably be like nine, about the same time, about 10 after 9. Um, you can subscribe to our feed on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or via RSS. We're online at fingerlakes1.tv slash upstateorange. So, 
for the professor, Brad Connor. I'm Jim Sinecropi. Have a great week. Have a great Thanksgiving. And let's go orange.